A social contract is an implicit agreement among the members of a society to cooperate for social benefits. At its core, it's the relationship between individuals and institutions. We have seen that the discussions on social contracts are most active in times of broad economic, social and political upheaval, certainly our current context. We are rethinking the rights and obligations of citizens to overcome the negative impacts of technology and globalization. How might a rethink of social contracts help reverse our current climate crisis and lead to the regeneration of our communities and cities? Hi, and welcome to episode five of Moonshot City. I'm Juhi Sharif, and I'm here with Preeti Ambani, and together we're exploring the big questions around what makes a resilient and regenerative city. Today, we're delighted to welcome our fourth guest, Siddharth Stalekar. Sid has got an MBA from IIM Ahmedabad, one of India's most prestigious management schools, and was the head of South Asia's largest trading floor until 2011. He then spent four years in the Gandhi Ashram in India, where he explored new paradigms for economics. Siddharth is based in Singapore, where he's founded Sacred Capital. Sacred Capital is building a reputation-based economy to unleash multidimensional wealth. Their reputation interchange enables scaling of new forms of capital, social, cultural, and intellectual. Hi, Sid. Hi, Julie. Happy day. So, Sid, tell us a bit about your journey from a career in finance to what you're doing now. Thanks. I think you did a pretty good job in the intro, but maybe I could share a few other perspectives. I'm an 80s kid. I was born in 81 and spent a good chunk of my life in the city of Mumbai. And growing up in the 80s, it was a fascinating life because we had very heavy regulations and restrictions on all forms of material capital and production. And as a result of it, you had very limited access to the Levi's jeans and the Nike shoes. But a city of of Mumbai with about 25 million people has this cultural vibrancy to it. There's almost this multidimensionality. So even though I didn't have the fancy shoes or jeans, I was always immersed in really radical and diverse cultures. And I think that has shaped me along the way because it's around the 90s, the late 90s, that neoliberalism really came knocking on India's doors. And as the economy started liberalizing and quote-unquote opening up, you saw a big move away from the way things were done. And while there were some positives to it, we had a lot of infrastructure and material capital being generated and people like me were real beneficiaries of it. Simultaneously, we had this, I would say, almost like this homogenizing force of neoliberalism that was applied on a very diverse society like India. So I think it was very fascinating. And so, you know, as I went down this path of mainstream finance and you know, had a front row seat at the 2008 crisis, I could see how global capital, as it was slushing around the world, also had its impact on the diversity and social fabric of India. And you could see how some of it was conflicting and almost creating some of the polarization that is now very apparent. But to me, it raised a whole bunch of questions and I didn't really have answers to it because I could also see this monetary centralized economy did have some issues. 
And so I then spent a few years in a community that was founded by Gandhi. And for me, it was just a great moment to step away from the mainstream and dive into, I would say, new kinds of stories or not new, really, like they were just stories that I hadn't been exposed to, but particularly related to distributed economics, related to distributed cultures and their operations. And back in 2015, after spending about four years in this community, I came across 2014, 2015, I came across distributed ledger technology and, you know, almost immediately I knew there was something really powerful in store for us. Because for me, these technologies aren't just about making money more efficient, but broadening our definition of wealth itself and entering into what I call multidimensional wealth. And so this allows us to look at wealth, not just as monetary capital, but reputation capital as well. And so sacred capital for the last couple of years has been, I would say, building economic infrastructure. Like people ask us, are you a fintech company? Are you, I think we're an we're building economic infrastructure. That's probably the best way to, to frame it. So to add to that, when we've spoken before, you've mentioned that there's a couple of principles that you learned at the ashram mm. that you've carried through. Can you talk a bit more about that? So Swaraj. Swaraj and Swadeshi. Yeah, these are interesting yeah. concepts. And my time at the ashram helped me see the distributed communities or distributed networks needed radically different patterns for engagement and functioning and the centralized world or i would say you know the world that most of us uh, engage with operates on different principles and so back in 2016 and 2017 when blockchain technology became this thing i think most people made this mistake of applying very centralized thinking onto what were very distributed networks and so you had this weird phenomenon of cryptocurrencies where, you know, anyone and anyone was at liberty to issue their own currencies. And I think that was kind of, that kind of led to the bubble that we saw. And that's understandable because these technologies weren't fully understood. But most people used very centralized patterns, you know, just like the United States issues its currency or issues debt. I think it's not the same you can't translate that in the same way to distributed economy because you need to do things in radically different ways. And so some of these patterns are really critical for anyone who's looking to build communities, looking to build distributed networks, because what's important in the distributed world is that you stop thinking in the same consensus-driven, overarching regulatory fashion and instead start moving your lens towards diversity and collaboration. Um, and so what's really critical for distributed patterns is for you to think about culture and reputation as your primary currencies and monetary currencies are almost derivatives of reputation. And so we're starting to see these whole new paradigms arrive primarily because of distributed ledger tech, which is giving us agent-centric paradigms, which basically means Instead of the old way of doing things, which are very data-centric paradigms, uh, which you know give us apps and businesses, in distributed environments, we have agent-centric tech, which gives us what we call neighborhoods. Sid, can you explain the difference between neighborhoods and businesses? The key difference in neighborhoods compared to businesses is in neighborhoods, you have 
very generic tech and or tools and very specific culture whereas in apps or businesses you have specific tech and very generic culture and so these patterns are really important while making that leap from centralized organization to distributed networks which is why we say you know focus on social fabric focus on developing culture and so our emphasis from day one has been building a formal economic language for reputation which lets people articulate culture very specifically in the distributed economy so sid sacred capital is building a distributed reputation fabric that underpins this new economy mm-hmm. so one of you know one way to think of it is as a wealth system that functions contextually mm-hmm. and you mentioned it's an agent centric protocol um mm-hmm. that facilitates new dimensions for engagement in applications mm. communities and institutions so mm. how might this distributed reputation framework play a role in future centric regenerative cities which you know function mm. on a completely different paradigm that are designed to work with um, mm. natural systems that are designed to be circular that are designed to be environmentally mm. sustainable but also provide a well-being framework for people to thrive how might this the work mm-hmm. that you are doing apply to this type of city that we're imagining i feel like this probably needs a couple podcasts to to completely unpack and to be honest i think we're all entering this with a certain sense of humility like no one really knows and we're unfolding this as we go but it's important to grasp what agent centric technology really is about the, the big shift here or why we think all of these conversations are now possible is because all of a sudden we as humans have the ability to maintain ledgers ourselves right so all along you know we've had the mark zuckerbergs of the world maintain our information for us in data silos we've had governments maintain land records for us we've had banks or institutions maintain our financial records for us but because of this technology there's a flip occurring and we can start maintaining ledgers for really low costs among ourselves and so that means the kind of patterns we follow the kind of the ways we organize ourselves start to shift because once we've been given this power of of storing these records uh, you might ask well what should we store right like what kind of information and engagement are we going to to record at our end so because it's so low cost you can actually broaden that spectrum you don't just need to record monetary transactions or you know large transactions like land trades but instead we can start to articulate the really softer subtler stuff as well like how did i think juhi's paintings were great did i think that film was nice so we start articulating reputational data as well and because it's agent centric as an individual moves from one community or one application or one neighborhood or one ecosystem to another they can actually carry their context with them so for example as we move from one app to another in the current technological environment it's not great right like when you sign up to a new app you show up with a completely blank slate and as a result of this you know mr zuckerberg has to run his algorithms to curate your feed or engage you uh, and so we've fallen this almost this perverse relationship of being driven by algorithms 
But instead, with agent-centric tech, you can actually show up in a new community or a new app. And instead of you know showing up as this blank slate, you actually pull in context that is relevant to you as you plug in. And so this is really important for smart you know, cities and, and new ecosystems because this is what I would argue more along the lines of the way nature works or the way societies always function. You know, if Juhi invites me to a dinner party and I show up to that party, I don't show up with a completely blank state. I might know Preeti from another context. I might know someone else from, you know, from work that we've done in the past. And so this allows us to create new organizing principles for cities, for communities. So instead of businesses or apps being the primary drivers, you start giving birth to neighborhoods. And that means each member or citizen of these neighborhoods can actually access and pull together basic technological tools, but articulates a very specific culture for the neighborhood and accelerates engagements within it. So from a government's perspective or an institution's perspective, what you're looking to do is build this foundational infrastructure and let neighborhoods, communities, ecosystems articulate specific culture within it, uh, as opposed to the institution or the government articulating it for them. Sid, unpack why reputation is such a valuable um, Mm -hmm. currency, for a lack of better, you know, metric. What makes reputation so powerful? Yeah, this is a great conversation as well. I think, you know, you mentioned the word reputation currency. For a lot of people, this is a conflict in itself because there's certain rules that we've just grown up with in, in terms of our understanding of currency and understanding of wealth. We tend to limit our understanding of wealth to monetary currencies. How wealthy are you? And the standard answer would be a certain amount of money, maybe a house, maybe a car. Um, and I think one of the limitations of the traditional economy is we've only had validation or valuation of material capital. And that's because we only lived in this this formal centralized economy. But in distributed networks, like I said, because of agent-centric tech, we can start validating fast, subtler forms of value. So, you know, how punctual is Juhi? Um, You know, how funny were her jokes, like I said. (laughs) But stuff like this was really expensive to validate in the past or to even record in the past. But we're now moving to a world where we can, right? And so we're now entering paradigms where reputation can be recorded and held as a form of wealth or a form of currency in itself. But there's a few differences when we think about reputation as a currency. Sid, we've heard you talk about the rules around the reputation economy. Can you tell us more about that? Um, We say that these four tenets to, to the reputation economy. Rule number one is reputation is endogenous, whereas money is exogenous. And by endogenous, I mean it's inextricably linked with your identity. So let's go to Preeti now. Let's say Preeti is punctual. It's firmly linked with her. She can't trade it away to Jew. But with money, you can actually trade it away. So if you've got three Bitcoin, you can actually trade it away to someone for other coins or other, or other money. Uh, so rule number one is, is reputation is endogenous. Rule number two is reputation is contextual. So If you're a good dentist, it makes sense for you to recommend a good brand of toothpaste. You can't go around recommending which film people should watch over the weekend because that would make no sense. 
but money is not contextual. So if you have $100, you can buy food, you can buy, I don't know, a table, a chair, like or a house. It's not contextual. Rule number three is reputation is relative. And this is where a lot of designs around reputation get it wrong. And it's one of the reasons why reputation systems so far haven't caught on and haven't gained traction. It's because if I were to ask, is Preeti punctual? There is no absolute answer to that question. I have to ask, well, which context? For example, in the context of a friend's, maybe she is punctual. In the context of Auckland, maybe she isn't. Maybe Auckland defines punctuality as a binary. Maybe her friends define it as a spectrum and more fluidly. And so the answer to the question can only be pieced together by looking at it through various contexts. And that is really, really critical. You want to maintain that relativism in reputation. Whereas with money, you don't need that. It's quite absolute. Like, does Joey have a million dollars? Yes. Like, here's a bank statement. Does she have a house? Here's a house. So that's rule number three. Rule number four is reputation is non-zero sum. And so it can't be spent, but it can be staked. So a dentist doesn't spend his reputation when they're recommending a brand of toothpaste. But with money, you spend it, right? Like if I have $100, I give you 50, I have 50 left. But with reputation, if I, you know, if I'm considered to be punctual in one context, and let's say there's a, you know, there's 50,000 other communities that think that context is relevant to them, they might ask you to port that reputation into that context and there's no limit to the number of places you can port it and which is why we say reputation is non-zero sum and to me that's really exciting because that dream of collaboration that dream of being able to work with each other without that zero sumness arriving between us can be best expressed through reputation currencies so as a very simple use case, like if we have an ideation circle, you could visualize the system where, you know, people are being rewarded with reputation scores. And there's no limit to the number of good ideas that you can reward because reputation isn't coming from this pot of gold in the center of the circle. Whereas with money, you were limited by what you had. And so reputation as a reward system can start to solve some of those massive problems that we just seem to be lumped with for decades. Um, I think we all agree problems of like, you know, climate change, pandemics, some of the monetary shocks we're experiencing can't be solved with the same competitive patterns that we've grown up with. And I think we keep trying to solve these problems within that same frame of mind, which is why we aren't doing a good job of it. And which is why when we use reputation currencies to start rewarding people and start building reputation economies, you start finally solving this problem with, I think, genuinely collaborative efforts. Because in my opinion, I don't think we've been able to figure out this problem of collaborating at a global level yet. Sid, I find that really fascinating. And look, you are married to a Kiwi, but living <laughs> in Singapore, right? And so one concept, which I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, here is the mm -hmm. mana economy uh -huh. and Te Araha Morehu who was the chief innovation officer for a time at Nati Fatua Oraki which is one of the Māori iwi the tribes in the Auckland area talked a lot about the mana economy and mm -hmm. this idea in Māoridom where your mana grows your reputation and and your standing in society grows and it is mm -hmm. really interesting to see the linkages there. And also, there's a lot of discussion here around shifting from 
the lens of GDP to well-being. Mm. You know, because what is the point mm. of the economy, really? It's just, you know, well, for yeah. some people, it is yeah. just to, to make more money. But mm. but for most of us, we're seeing that we really have to change the paradigm mm. um, because we only have this one planet. And mm. it's really interesting to then start saying, what do we value mm. in today's world and in the new economies and the new cities that we create? Mm. Um, and so one question that I've got for you is in terms of actually making this real, because obviously the technology is available, but things are still in design phases and so on. And I'm mm. really interested to know, you know, are there some interesting conversations you're having with businesses or with governments at this point mm. in terms of actually piloting these concepts? Yeah. I think for starters, we have to accept that distributed tech or distributed organizing is really hard. And while we've done it in informal ways for millennia, like as a South Asian, I still am, you know, very steeped in distributed communities. I think doing it in this formal way is really hard because we're brushing up along a lot of assumptions that we made that weren't valid and starting having to redesign them, which is why I'd say anyone who's excited by this, you know, I think step one is is almost like this expectations management conversation I have with them because I feel like radical change requires radical patience. And and I think that's what we have to, you know, we have to take up those deep breaths before we get into this work. Having said that, I think the last couple of years have allowed us to dig in deep and start solving some of these problems to the point where I think we're a few months away from these technologies coming through. And so we've started having conversations with a few dozen people. So there's communities around the world who are using this to build their conversation or movement. Like conversations and movements have never really had a formal economic language, right? Like you've always had to, you know, rely on the monetary economy to make this happen. But instead, here's an economic system that is designed for conversations and movements. And so you can actually articulate your reputation systems and start building your community as you go along. There's people who are interested in building their ecosystem and communities. In fact, I think project in New Zealand itself that's trying to you know build circles of gratitude. There's communities in other parts for things like food sharing, for ideation around our habits with the environment. There's all kinds of communities that are looking at this because we've never really had that economic language for communities. There's governments that we've had conversations with, some in states in South Asia and Southeast Asia and China as well. And I think what we're realizing is any institution that's thinking about future of work or thinking about how the economic system could be more resilient for times like this COVID crisis, you can't do it without thinking about reputation in a very real way. And so governments and institutions are changing their thinking towards building reputational infrastructure and facilitating communities and micro-entrepreneurs to articulate and build their own reputational fabric themselves. There's also projects like you know, an organic farming community in South India, P2P lending community in Southeast Asia that are using reputation fabric for everything from organic certifications to, like I said, P2P lending and issuance of currencies. But basically, when you have reputation fabric, you can do a whole bunch of things and monetary issuances are just part of it. And so in the long run, I'm, you know, I like to think of this as an economic system that is focused on human potential. It's kind of sad that, you know, after all these centuries, we use an economic system that is predicated on material capital. And 
I think we're, you know, reached a situation where we face human redundancy or this question of, you know, us becoming redundant because our economic system isn't designed to maximize human potential. It's designed to maximize stuff. And so if stuff can be made without humans, well, who needs them? And so if we don't change our conversation really fast and really radically, we're going to run into some of the issues that series like Black Mirror constantly talk to us about. Sid, can you talk more about the relationship between the reputation currency and monetary currency? So, yeah, I think of this as an economic system for human potential. And so, yeah, we spoke about this before, but it's almost like that high school equivalent of potential energy and kinetic energy. And so reputation currencies and monetary currencies interplay with each other in the same way. Uh, reputation currencies can be thought of as potential energy and monetary currencies can be thought of as kinetic energy. And so when you're designing a system, you need both aspects to it. It's almost like the yin-yang designs question, right? And so, for example, in times like COVID, when you don't have kinetic energy, you need to be able to honor and validate stepping back and recharging. And that only happens with potential energy. So Yeah, I think it's about time we put human potential at the center of what we do. Uh, That's just fascinating, Sid. I think your comment around how in times of lockdown and circuit breaker, as they say in Singapore, you know, we can all use our potential energy and Mm -hmm. uh, use the the power of our reputation to take us forward Mm -hmm. and keep creating value uh, Mm -hmm. while we're in lockdown, for instance. Could you tell us, a little bit about the technology behind what enables this today, enables this reputation economy and the work you're doing with Sacred Capital. Yeah, so the underlying platform that we're using is known as Holochain. And I would say that's the first agent-centric platform or protocol that's that's out there. And like I said, agent-centricity is really critical because unlike blockchains, this isn't focused on consensus but instead allowing each community to define information and validation contextually. And so what we've built or designed on Holochain is known as a reputation interchange, which basically allows the sporting of reputation data from one community to another. And so it's really important that this sporting occurs in an agent-centric way. So Let's say, you know, Jui and Preeti have this moonshot community in New Zealand, which is really focused on the kinds of conversations that you guys are involved in. But one of you shows up in Singapore and there's a community that's that's related and actually honors what you guys do and asks you to port reputation data from the moonshot community in New Zealand. When Preeti shows up, it's important that she holds agency over her reputation data and she decides if she'd like to, you know, port that when she makes that jump. And so if she does consent to it, it means she shows up in this community not as a stranger, but with prior context. And so that actually accelerates your engagements as you move from community to community. And more importantly, it, I think it facilitates what is being called mimetic mediation or this conversation or bridging between cultures. And this is really critical because, you know, people often are concerned about this move towards tribalism that the world seems to be making. I think if we don't build this formal economic language for mediation in this way, we will devolve down into our worst tribal selves and, and you know, start demanding that governments build those walls. And so in that sense, I think these contextual bridges 
are what save us from the future that we most uh, that we most fear. Thank you, Sid, for sharing all of those insights with us. Some fascinating notes we've made from your conversation and all of your experience in building this new paradigm for how mm-hmm. we use our reputation. You know, the whole concept of the potential energy, the human mm-hmm. potential. Um, mm-hmm. It's fascinating. And I think that's, you know, we're going to have to talk about this a lot more as we um, really do a deep dive into, you know, the framework of regenerative cities. So we create this multidimensional story. Thank you so much again for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Yes, thanks so much, Sid. Thank you, guys. To learn more about the work Siddharth Stelekar is doing and to continue the discussion, visit us at projectmoonshot.city. I'm Preeti Ambani. I'm Juhi Sharif. This is Moonshot City.